0: Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by Gear Up Sports. They're one of the leaders in youth apparel sports, but they also support company attire and with a distributed workforce and gear to stay connected. If you look or if you're on YouTube, you'll see that I'm wearing 40 strategy gear. We also give all of our guests measure success podcast gear. If you want to learn more about it, please go to gearupwithus.com. We also like to have a shout out. And with that, we'd like to thank you to Brendan Hitzman. That's who introduced us to our guest today. So thank you, Brendan and that's the CEO Josh Detweiler. He is a CEO of AppJax.com. He's a multi multi entrepreneur and current CEO of a leading martech company. Josh, welcome to the Measure Success podcast. Thanks, Carl. Well, first of all, let's uh, so great to talk with you last week. You had we had a quick turnaround. Usually we have multiple <laughs> weeks delay before we talk with people. We, we got to go right back to back. For our audience who doesn't know anything about AppJax, and once again it's spelled J A X X, for those who are wondering, tell us more about what AppJax is. So
1: AppJax started almost 10 years ago. I founded it as a digital marketing firm. So just one of the many guys out there that, that understand and know how to reach reach individuals, companies and in digital space. But almost from the beginning, I, I had this belief that much of digital marketing, particularly on the lead generation side, didn't have to be done by hand. So many of the processes were repeatable, could be put into a system, and could be automated. <clears throat> so from pretty early on, I had this dream to build a tool that would handle all the at least basic and primary functions of digital marketing. So about three years ago, I took on angel funding from a group of angels, and we built what we have today. The system that we call Jax, you No, know, it's confusing because we're AppJax, We call our system Jax. It automates the primary functions of digital marketing. It generates leads, it automates social posting, and it automates email follow-up. It's pretty simple, but what we found is in the digital marketing space, and and you probably know this from the the stuff that you guys do, is the days of sending the one-off email, the cold email saying, hey, come work with me, they're gone. It doesn't work anymore. People need to get a digital touch multiple times. In fact, generally, they say they need to be touched at least nine individual times before they're going to be ready to make a buy decision. So our tool, Jax, is designed to automate all nine of those touches so that they can get into your sales funnel.
0: I I love it how you talked about the amount of touches. I, I, I think read another thing where it's up to 18 times to get awareness just even mm-hmm. awareness that you exist right because there's so many things we're being talked about on a regular basis what are what are people typically you know this is a I from my perspective and what I'm involved with I don't see all of it get automated especially on the social type platform so how many different social platforms are you able to connect with or different to take a marketing message right and send that out to multiple different areas how is that being done today
1: so we we automate a few different platforms we automate connections. And, and messaging and um, posting on LinkedIn, which is really our primary source for generating activity. Our company is focused on, on B2B type interactions. So LinkedIn is the number one source. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, even if you're not and, and your guests aren't automating LinkedIn, but they're in the B2B space or in the lead generation space, in the relationship space, linkedin's the place to be people tend to be very responsive very active so that's our primary source we also do work on facebook and twitter <clears throat> but again we find that <coughs> pardon me we find that people tend to interact particularly on facebook in more of a personal way not so much businessy twitter's a little bit of a blend but twitter tends to focus more on information exchange versus relationship development So Facebook and LinkedIn would lean towards the relationship development side, and LinkedIn would simply focus that even more tightly on on business relationships.
0: Yep. No, I think it's a great explanation. And I think that's one of the most misunderstood pieces of all the different social networks is that they each have a different tool and purpose out there. You know, you, you can quote unquote, try to sell across all of them, but depending on who you are, what type of, if you're B2B, B2G, B2C, you know, different areas, and then are you, once again, are you just trying to sell to an individual or a pure company or a leadership team? There's so many different methods that people are going, but clearly LinkedIn from a B2B is the most common source for sure in the connection part. And so, so I'm curious for, you know, I've been a part of companies who have created a quote unquote SaaS environment from some, a traditional company. And, you know, SaaS, once again, for those who are software as a service. Explain to me that difference, right, between here Here, you've been doing traditional, once again, develop a marketing social presence or LinkedIn or helping out with the advertising around it. But now you have this SaaS tool and effectively it's usually a monthly or an annual subscription, right, to mm-hmm. be able to get and provide services for it. How have you had to change your business because it's very different profit model, you know, to get towards there? And, and what surprises have you had come about as a result of that? So there's a few things that
1: kind of make it different. And just so your guests understand, a, a sort of a colloquial way to think about the difference between SaaS and say a traditional, in the marketing sense, let's say, is there's there's two sides to effective work. And I'll be speaking of marketing right now. One is the expertise, right? To know what to do. So we'll call that know which buttons to push. The other side is pushing the buttons. So in a traditional type format where you have human, a lot of human interaction involved, You usually have one individual who understands and deploys and 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 gathers buy-in for the strategy and then you generally have another team of more administrative folks that are pushing the button at pushing the buttons as it were the idea of SaaS and transitioning a company from a a a standard human-based company to automation is you take the expertise out of the brain of the individual right the strategy to know what to do the know how to do You program that into the tool because generally these things are repeatable without getting on a tangent. I I, I still run my agency business and have clients. And there certainly is very specific things that every client needs. But the reality is all all the techniques are the same. They're all the same. You know, it's like if you're a marksman uh, and you prefer shooting a nine millimeter gun at the range, you can certainly shoot a 22. You can, you know, all kinds of different guns, but It's all still shooting a gun it's the same way in marketing for my for my digital clients on on the agency side i should say is it's all the same kind of technique they just have to be done differently so again you take that expertise out of the brain of the individual and you program it into a system and then you program that system much like a robot to just hit the buttons for you so the biggest difference and biggest value is scalability right You know, I could take on, you know, if I was running my agency full time, which I did for years, I could take at any given time, maybe 10 to 15 active clients. And I was really busy. That's a lot of phone calls, a lot of work, a lot of buttons to push, right? On the digital side, on the tool side, we can take and have have taken hundreds and hundreds of clients on at a time. And again, because the information is out of my head, the necessity for me to communicate it is gone because it's programmed into the tool. My team's ability to push the buttons has been taken over by the system itself. So that's the big difference is the ability to scale.
0: Yep. No, I love it. I love, I love that comparison, what you said. And, and I think one of the most interesting things is you're saying you're literally taking, documenting what's just been in our head and putting it into a program, and a system. So how do you get your clients comfortable with that? <laughs> how do they know that they're comfortable with that concept of, hey, I, I, I there's a, the ambiguity, if you may, of the human mind, right, or the ambiguity of the response of how people are going to respond back to perhaps something that's going out on a digit, you know, on an automated approach. How does that change? How do you, how do you get your clients to feel comfortable with that process?
1: Well, first of all, if you have any tips on getting it right, I'd love to hear them because <laughs> we're always working on that. Uh, there, there's two sides to that as well. Right. There's the sales side. If someone's coming in, they say, I don't believe you can do all of that. Often when we talk to potential clients and my sales team talks to potential clients, the number one objection is I just don't believe you. Your numbers that you claim you can do are simply too high because they don't understand automation. They don't understand this type of stuff. So on that side, it becomes very difficult. The one way we've managed that is focus on results. Uh, Our tagline for our company is results matter. That existed long before we built the tool. So we try to tell them, hey, we can prove it to you, whether it's through a free trial, through a demo on someone else's account that's live, something like that. The other side of it is, of course, client side. They need to trust the system to do it, right? And that one, we do press hard on results only on results on that side, because you don't have to understand how something works to know that it works. When you pick up your cell phone today, if you have an iPhone, you really don't understand exactly how it works. Neither do I, but you know what? Every time I hit that call button, someone answers on the other side, right? So I know the technology works. In the end, I don't actually care how it works as long as it works. We push that with our clients is say, trust the process, let it get going. And once you start to see the results, then you don't have to be concerned about how it works because it does. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, if you're okay with it, from a results perspective, how, how, what, what are the type of results are you seeing? Or, 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 you know, once again, I know each client to client is going to change a little bit, but what are you typically seeing versus kind of common methods or approaches that are being used?
1: Yeah, I, I do believe in, at the risk of sounding salesy. We, we really are the lowest cost lead gen tool in, in the marketplace right now. So for our clients on a per account basis, we're, I don't want to get too deeply in the numbers, but we're going to send out about 2000 connection requests per month. Your audience is going to grow by about five to 800 people. So right there, you've got five to 800 people that are now new to your audience that you keep in perpetuity. And then we send messages to those people and responses back. They generally get about a hundred responses per month that come back. So the numbers are significant Um, and and, and they generally are pretty good. Now, a lot of people will respond and just say, Hey, thanks for reaching out, but I'm not really interested right now, which is fine. You move on to the next one, but we are constantly surprised at the quality results that people can get through this type of automation. Because... The key to understand, and and again, I don't want to get too far off track, but the key to understand is we've all seen junk automation, right? You've gotten spam emails, you've gotten spam stuff on LinkedIn, but the definition of spam isn't what most people think it is. Most people say, well, spam is something you send out in mass." No, it's not. Spam is something that is not applicable to you. So let's say you're in the golf. I don't know if you play golf or not. Let's say you do.
0: Yep, yep.
1: I hate golf. Trying to hit that little ball is maddening. So I'm not a golfer. But let's say an email or a LinkedIn message goes out to you and I. Same message. And it says, hey, Carl. Hey, Josh. I've got this great opportunity. We're opening a new golf course. We want some people to test it out. Would you be willing to? We'll pay for your plane ticket. Just fly out for a day. Try the course out and give us some feedback on the course. You'd be like, yes, I would love to do that. I get that and I call it spam. So, really, when you're talking about automation, it's a combination of correct targeting, right? So, understanding who to reach out to, right. and then crafting a message that first of all doesn't sound spammy, but that reaches their needs. No, I shouldn't say reaches their needs. That that establishes a relationship, because in, in, in this type of selling, it's not about selling your product or service. It's about developing a relationship. Right, it's opening the door to someone you can talk to, someone that you can continue to walk down the path. They may or may not buy from you, but the relationship is what's key. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love that. I love. I think that's what scares people a lot. From you know, I I have fourteen thousand plus connections, Josh, on LinkedIn. Wow, and the and the amount of spam I get is unbelievable. The amount of fraud I get is unbelievable. You know, you could just tell you, 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 one click and you see somebody had 27 connections and they're telling you they're getting ready to, you could franchise their business. And I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, and, and a couple of times I've dug in a little deeper and, and it's, it's painful. And so we we're dealing right with this regular spamming for lack of a better term, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of, of things that happen, but there is good. There are honest, true people that are on LinkedIn trying to just share and, and truly create a relationship around it. So I know this is hard, hard to say perhaps, but how do you get that touch of creating that relationship, right? Where somebody who doesn't have, have no connections or maybe have a first or second level connection who might be on LinkedIn, you know, how, how, what are these steps that are done to make it feel like it's not a computer? It's not a, it's not spam, right? It's, it's, it's a genuine interest to get to know somebody.
1: So, Again, targeting is where you start. Make sure you're reaching the right people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The the other thing, and then of course, secondarily is messaging, but it all starts with intent. We turn away more clients than we take because I just don't think they're a fit. If, if your goal and if you think the way to use LinkedIn is go out and hammer people over the head with as many messages as you can to sell your product, we won't work with you. And they, sh- they don't belong on LinkedIn. Okay. But if your intent is to use tools like LinkedIn and other social platforms for what they're meant to be used for, which is building relationships, if that's truly your intent, then you're not selling a product. In fact, often when I'm doing onboardings, the onboardings I can make it to for new clients, I say to them, well, tell me what you're selling. And they'll say, well, Josh, I'm selling consulting services. I'm selling you know this type of product or that service. And I, I said, no, you're not. On LinkedIn, you're not selling your product. You're never going to sell your product on LinkedIn. No one will ever buy your product on LinkedIn. What you're selling is a relationship. So know what you're selling. That's the key thing. Because if I reached out to you and said, hey, Carl, I got this great whiz-bang marketing system. You should come work with us. Do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? Do you want to buy it? It looks like spam, right? But if I reach out to you on LinkedIn and say, hey, Carl, we do have some common connections and I would genuinely like to get to know you and understand more about your business, and I'd love to talk to you. If that is backed with real intent, not just lip service, but a real intent that I'd like to get to know more people, then you're going to have great results. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's good. No, thank you. Thanks for uh, sharing that comparison. And, and it's, you know, I don't know, once again, Josh, I'm just saying this from my personal experience. There it's, it, I, I find it almost laugh out loud, funny of, I'll get this message and it kind of works a little bit. And then you see 12 other different organizations use it. It's kind of like the copycat <laughs> effect, yeah. right? Yeah. So how do you deal with that, right? Because it seems like there's just this, people are smart, right? They figure out what works. Oh, wow. I try this little approach and aha, I got connected. How do you deal with the copycatters, right? That are taking some of the perhaps messages that you all come up with and people are copying it. Next thing you know, it feels like spam again.
1: So... And this applies, you know, LinkedIn is only a part of what we do. You know, a lot of what we do is that email automation and the additional social posting. So I would say in all of those areas, the key is personalization. Again, if you truly care about quality over quantity, why on earth would you take someone else's message and just repost it? So it's about having a targeted message, whether this is an email campaign or a LinkedIn message campaign or a social posting campaign. It needs to be targeted to your audience. Again, in my example of golf, if you think you're going to get something from golf from me, you're going to fail. It's not going to work. But if you want to get a golf relationship with you, it's going to work, right? So understand your audience is key and personalize to that audience every time you communicate with them.
0: Yep. Yep. love it. So uh, you mentioned this concept about being able to grow, right, SaaS more and be able to leverage more than you were in the past. For me, I've always found that to be fun, right? Being able to scale beyond the traditional, right? You had, you said 13 to 15 clients, you're, you're capped out. You know what I mean? In terms of being able to effectively mm-hmm. be able to manage them. But now you could have hundreds of clients as a result of using this type of approach. What, what's the pros and cons behind that from your just your perspective as a CEO?
1: So from, you're right, I can only speak for myself. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. So I've had now six businesses all of them are either bought as acquired as distressed companies or started um, from scratch. I would build them till they started to scale and sell them. So the challenge, of course, in, in my opinion, is that there's a very different skill set between the guy that knows how to start a company and the guy that knows how to scale a company. They're, they're so different, the skill sets. Every young entrepreneur, particularly in the tech space, they, they fancy themselves the next Mark Zuckerberg right? Or us older guys, Bill Gates, right? These guys had the ability both to found an idea and manage massive scale and massive teams. The reality is most entrepreneurs don't know how to do that. Um, If you know how to start a business, you probably don't know how to scale it. I'll be completely transparent with you. That's my biggest struggle right now Is is my team's been growing quickly and the client numbers are exploding. The numbers get a lot bigger. The team gets a lot bigger. It's, it's hard if you don't have experience doing that. It, it really is a unique challenge of transitioning from a startup to scaling. You know, when, when you're starting up and you're by yourself or maybe with a small team of less than 10 people, you can do anything you want, right? I can make any decision I want. I can make it in a vacuum. I can share it with the team. I can do whatever I want. When you start to scale, you have these managers coming in and, and, and directors and they want to set processes. And they come to me and they say, Josh, why did you do that? And I said, well, because that's how I do it. And they say, no, we have processes for that. You have to follow the process. And I just, oh, my eyes roll back in my head. Processes are exhausting. And they say, no, Josh, you have to follow the processes. I don't care if you're the boss. You need to follow the processes. So uh, it's a unique challenge. If you don't have that extremely rare skill set, which I don't, that can both start and grow to massive scale. It's hard.
0: It is. And I appreciate that comparison because that is, it's, 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 I see, I enjoy, I've done, I've been part of the pure, what I call true startup, meaning nothing, like no zero Mm -hmm. revenue, right to something. And then a part of, you know, I enjoy that four to 40 million and I enjoy it because of that creation of team processes and systems, right. To get it to scale, you know, and, and often those, it's one of those three things that have, failed at one point of the way which is preventing it from going to the next level in each of the respective areas and, and so I appreciate that that comparison because even in my current business it which has been more of a what I call true startup right you know once again it is it's a, it's a different set of skill sets you know I, I, I kind of half joke until you're about four million and you have multiple people you're managing this I'm not intended to defend anybody out there it's not a true true real big company from my perspective like meaning you're not seeing multiple people, a true chief executive officer of multiple other directors and people who are involved with the company or managers to get things done, Mm -hmm. right? It's different, right? Than then I just manage all five or six people that are doing things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not, it's just an extension of your alter ego versus a collective set of egos that are smarter than you, you know, in different areas and can actually help scale a company. It it is so fascinating, different. I appreciate you you explaining the difference, right? For our audience that those two things are are real and a real challenge. So you you talk about let's just talk about AppJacks or perhaps even other entrepreneurial businesses you have. We'll just talk about AppJacks perspective. How do you measure success there?
1: So I think the easy answer to measuring success often comes back to money, right? How profitable are we? You know, did we hit our quarterly goals? I never founded a business to become rich. That was never my goal. I have always worked in my businesses with the goal being increase satisfaction of my employees in their work life, in their home life. And that starts with the realization that even if you've got the best employees in the world, maybe they're even friends of yours or, or people you've known for a long time. The truth is they don't care about your company. They might care, but they don't care about it like you do. So don't expect them to give them realistic goals and objectives that can be quantifiable and let them do their job. And most importantly, make sure they go home. The biggest problems I have with employees when it comes to time is them working too much. We have a policy, you work 40 hours or less. If you're pushing, and not to say no employee ever pushes over 40, sure. but- If I've actually been dealing with this recently with one of my employees, she was pushing to 45 and 50 hours a week and she said, Josh, it's okay. I've always had jobs like this. And I said, no, it's not okay because your home life is what matters. Your family life is what matters. Work's always going to be here in the morning. So if you're working 45, 50 hours a week, there's one of two problems. Either it's a time management issue on your part, which we can work through, or you have too much on your plate and we need to hire someone new that can help with that, which is actually what we just did recently a few weeks ago in this particular case. So that's my big thing is how satisfied are they in the workplace? Again, I don't expect anyone to come into work and be like, I love my job so much, all I wanna do is this job. I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I want them to come into work and feel accomplished and satisfied, but far more importantly, I want them to go home, be able to disconnect, be with their family. That's what I want.
0: So that is a, I love that target that you have. You effectively have a target, which is you care about your employees, your staff, the greater purpose around them. And you measure it by, hey, if you're working over 40 hours here, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. It, it, because that's, you know, where I grew up in, in public accounting and actually, frankly, most of the companies I've worked with, it's the opposite. If you haven't put in your 65 hours, you're slacking, but it's just, it's, it's a common thing. Right. And so how do you get that? So, and and by the way, the really super high achiever, they want that, right? They want to put in the grind. They want to put in the hours to feel successful. So in that case where you had that, and perhaps you're still working on it, but you have these high achievers that feel like they need to put in the extra grind, the extra time, et cetera in a work perspective, how do you get them to focus to still feel like they're successful, even though they're working less time?
1: I, I, I'm going to push back on you on that one, on that, Carl. Please, you please. You said there's high achievers
0: that yeah. want
1: to put in the grind. They want to put in the 60, 65 hours a week.
0: Do they? Oh, no, no, no. I, I think they're used to it. Let me clarify that. They're used to it. Like you, what you said, this person you mentioned that's an employee, they're used to They don't feel successful. They've been trained. I was trained this way. I was trained. You are, if you aren't putting in 55 hours, you aren't putting in enough. That's how I was trained. Just, I'm just saying professionally.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so, cause I don't think anyone wants to do that. No. And, and I, if, they, I, I, and I, if yes. they do want to do that, I would suggest there's probably something going on at home, which may or may not be my business, but it might be something going on in their home life that they're not achieving there. I would say to them, put in the 40 with me. And if you want to put in 65, why don't you think of some real neat ways that you can spend those 25 and achieve your goals and measure your success mm-hmm. at home?
0: Yeah,
1: and, and I don't just mean at home, I should say away from work and whatever endeavors you have outside of work, maybe put that tw- those 25 hours towards understanding how to achieve and measure your achievement and measure your success in, in the outside work hours. But other than that, in terms of how to do it, it is kind of a procedural thing. If I get emails from my team late at night, I'll let them know in the morning. Like, did you really need to send that last night? If it was on your mind and you felt like you had to get it off your mind, I understand, but you shouldn't be working at night. Over the weekend, when emails go out over the weekend, if I have an employee that is doing it uh, often, I'll talk to them or I'll have their manager talk to them and say, listen, I really don't want you doing that. Your your weekend is your time. Forget about work. work. I promise there'll be work to do on Monday morning. You can work all weekend if you want, understood we work to do Monday morning. So just let Monday morning come when it comes. So that's one of the big things, just procedurally make sure people aren't spending that time outside of work.
0: Well, you truly walk the walk. And and, and I mean that I loved it when we had our call on Friday, you were already at your family Lake house, I think, or something like that. And, and you had yeah. family coming in. And I think I think your daughter was coming in honking and excited <laughs> to you know, be with everybody. I mean, it was yeah. awesome. It was absolutely awesome. So that obviously is really important to you and you're living it, right? You're living that embodiment of, of I hate to use the term balance, but but let's use it right in this case where, where you're focused a certain amount of time, quote unquote, of making money, so to speak, right? In, in your job, but you're spending time in other endeavors. And for you, clearly family is an important part of that, of disconnecting and being present with them. I think you used a comment, was it show up? Or show what was that comment? You said was that, it show up? Uh,
1: yeah, that's kind of my that's kind of my thing when people say, you know, talk about measuring success at home. You know, how how do you how do you it's hard to measure success, right? When you're talking about your family. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know if I'm a good dad or not. And and I don't know how any of us would know that. I don't know if I'm a good husband or not. I think I am. What I do know, and, and I, I told you when we talked, is I, I liked this model from Rick Moranis, who ended acting. In the mid nineties, he had two young children and a wife. His wife passed away of cancer and he was at the top of his career. And he said, you know what? I need to quit Hollywood. And I saw an interview with him many years ago and it impacted me. They said, why? And he said, because I have kids at home. And they said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I don't know. I just know I'm gonna show up. And that's been my thing with my kids, with my wife. I don't know if I'm doing the best job but I know I'm going to show up. I choose to have a remote workforce. My entire team spread throughout the country is all remote. We all work at home. I work at home. I can walk out the door right now and see my daughter. So showing up. So to me, though, measuring success is in my business side, it's my employees. In my family side, it's their personal lives. How are they doing? Uh, I take my faith very seriously as a Christian. Where are they at in their faith walk? Those are the things I measure.
0: I love that. I I mean I truly do. I love that concept of of the the action of being present, which is defined by that show up, right, is 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 ultimately where it's at. And and then, but you also acknowledged, hey, I I may not be the best, but at least I'm I'm making this effort to do a great job. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really sincerely appreciate that how you've of a connect. And once again, you've really shown it in both the business and, and personal side, because they are combined. I, I think when people try to separate the two and say there's just, the reality is if you're doing too much in one area or the other, it's going to impact your mm-hmm. overall success in all of it, right? Everything is connected for one, one way, shape or form. If you're not paying attention to those other things, it's hard, right? If if we're not getting if things aren't going well at home, it's hard to do well at work. And if things aren't doing work, work, it's hard to do well things at home. <laughs>
1: That's true. You know? Yes, for sure.
0: <laughs> they they go through with that. Well, you already share the measure of success in your personal life, which is show up. I love it how you measure the success in terms of your employees' success that they have. So, what's a book that you'd recommend to our audience? So I, I you
1: this question was coming. I spent some time thinking about it. You know, there's plenty of great business books out there, right? Even some of the old ones I love, like Who Moved My Cheese, stuff like that. Plenty of great business books. But my recommendation isn't a business book, but it applies to business. It's called Life and Death in Shang. It's by Qing. Ching. It's a uh, nonfiction. It's the story of how she lived through the Cultural Revolution in China in the 60s. Wow. And what's interesting about it and how it applies to your listeners is This woman endured incredible atrocities, yet she always had a great spirit. She was always looking to help. Despite the efforts of the government to break her, she had a resolve. She knew what she was doing. She knew where she was going. She knew who she was and nothing could break her and nothing could stop her. And I think in business, we sometimes need to remember that. It's, there's so many things trying to break us, change us, make us who we aren't. But if we know who we are, and are immovable. We can stand up in the face of adversity, and this is the story of Nancheng doing it. And it's a fantastic book.
0: Wow, great recommendation! And thank you for actually sharing something that's not in the back of my shelf here. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate that, and uh, I, I've been, I'm going to order that. So that sounds like sounds like an excellent read. Where can people, Josh, find more about you or uh, more about abjax?
1: So the best thing to go is to appjax.com. Again, the spelling is A-P-P-J-A-X-X.com. Our website kind of talks about our tool and how it works. If you want to get in contact with me or my team, you can use that information there to reach out to us. I'd love to chat with anyone who wants to talk about it.
0: Josh, this has been truly a pr- pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for being on the Measure Success podcast. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much. Wishing you the very best at Measuring Success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.